Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Hello, and welcome back to Deal Us In, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods, by and for women in private equity and finance. Today, we are introducing two new members of our team. They're young, and they're going to bring a fresh and new perspective to this series. So joining us, and you'll hear more about them throughout this episode, and as they participate in upcoming podcasts, we have Xaviera Webb and Rebecca Rainey. Thank you so much, Anne. Rebecca and I are thrilled to join this podcast and want to take this time to ask the three of you some questions about your path and journey in the private equity and finance space. Starting with you, Anne, what attracted you to the PE and finance space? And did you have any concerns before heading down this career path? So I started out in litigation. And um, as I was working through my career, I started doing more and more corporate-based things and realized that I liked transactional work a lot more than I liked litigation work. So I was attracted to private equity and finance and that reason. And I'm I'm a specialist. So it just kind of worked out that something that I'm I specialize in has a good fit. I did not have any concerns because I had no idea that when it's really busy, it's very, very busy and you kind of lose your calendar a bit. But I also like the fast paced, frenetic part of it. And I I've been a lawyer for a long time. So being one of a small group of women in any practice area in the law is not something that gave me any concern because that's kind of how it's been since I started. And it's just getting better and better. More women are joining. So no regrets. All right. Thank you. Can we hear from Phyllis about the same question? Sure. For me, some of it was purposeful and some of it was by accident, um, but it all worked out. Maybe purposeful planning, but also just as opportunities arose, I took advantage of them. So I was actually a finance major in undergrad. So I was always interested in the business and in the finance industry and banking, investment banking. And so, you know, from that subject matter perspective, you know, I decided on that back when I was in undergrad, but I always knew I was going to law school when I was in undergrad. So I always planned to go to law school. And so when I was in law school, um, I really had a sense that I was more of a transactional type of personality versus litigation, um, just because, you know, knowing myself, knowing my strengths. So I knew I was going to be interested in transactional work. So when I was clerking, I pursued transactional work. The reason I would say sort of by accident and in a way is that my first job as a first year, I was sort of randomly assigned to be a part of the private equity practice group at my old firm. Even though we were all corporate attorneys at that point in time, the firm was kind of experimenting with practice groups. And so I was one of the handful of associates that was assigned to the private equity group. And so just by virtue of that, I was getting a lot of private equity projects and assignments and things like that. And then just over the course of my career. So 
I started as a young attorney, mainly doing private equity, but I also did some securities work. I did some M&A work, you know, general corporate work. And then it was actually probably maybe my third or fourth year practice before I actually worked on a debt finance transaction um, and really liked working on that. And so, you know, I had a, a background and still to this day do a little bit of, of everything, but I focus on debt finance. Um, as my primary practice, and it's you know what I really enjoy doing, as well as the restructuring aspect of debt finance. But you know, as I kind of got more and more senior in my practice, I focused and I specialized more in debt finance. So that's kind of you know how I arrived at my current practice and what I do now every day. All right, thank you so much. And now, can we hear from Kelsey um, about your journey in private equity and finance? You sure can. I took a more uh, circuitous route, I'd say. I started in anthropology and pre-med in undergrad. By the end of my undergrad career, I was so in love with philosophy that I thought that law school might be a good fit, but I was still interested in sciences. So I started in law school with a master's in healthcare ethics and law. Um, I didn't finish my master's in healthcare ethics. I guess I started working for a boutique healthcare law firm, and we were primarily representing hospitals that were going through all these acquisitions where they were getting bought up and kind of aggregated. So I got super interested in that, and um, I just got really interested in the deal work. And the firm I was at at the time didn't do a lot of deal work, so I went to a mid-sized firm that did. And then um, a few years in, I came over to McGuire Woods, where I got to work on all sorts of sophisticated deals. And uh, I'm still here. Thanks, y'all. So uh, like Xavier said, thank you so much for that introduction. And I'm wondering what the culture was like 10 years ago for women. And if you feel it's improved and how so. Phyllis, would you like to take that question? Sure. It's an interesting question because, and I actually, someone asked me something similar the other day. And I said, you know, there's in some ways, the culture has changed a lot since, you know, 10 years ago. But in some ways, there have been, you know, there hasn't been a lot of change. <laughs> and so it's kind of a question of, um, there definitely have been improvements. And, um, but I think there's still, you know, there's a ways to go. You certainly see more and more women. Um, I think when I finished law school is when there were starting to be more and more women in law as far as law school applicants, women in law schools, and that number started to shift where in some law schools there were more women versus men that were actually in law school. So you had more women coming out of law school. The pipeline is, you know, once you start a law firm and people kind of getting more senior, you start to see fewer and fewer women. Um, 10 years ago. And I think to some extent that's still the case, although there's certainly been a lot of strides in women who getting more senior at law firms, uh, women who are making partner. Um, so there definitely have been improvements, but I think that the issue to me is always just kind of getting that critical mass, um, having the numbers there and, you know, maintaining those numbers. Um, and so law firms, I think, for instance, have done a lot to different types of programs and initiatives, and even things like, uh, you know, some benefits and um, things like maternity leave. Now, even 
you have a lot men, a lot of men taking paternity leave. Um, so even some of those aspects, I think, have added to recruiting as well as retaining women at law firms. But to me, you know, I think you'll see, obviously, you'll see progress when we don't have to ask these kinds of questions. And, mm-hmm. and you know, think about it being an issue because it'll it'll just be there and it'll be obvious to everyone. I think McGuire Woods does a really great job of or talking the talk and walking the walk as far as the programs and initiatives that the firm has. And, you know, I've been to client events even um, and people, clients have commented just by, you know, the attorneys who show up at McGuire Woods events like, wow, McGuire Woods really has a diverse group of attorneys working there. And I think that's been really purposeful. So I think you see a lot of organizations now being more purposeful with their um, recruiting and retention initiatives uh, for women. But, you know, I can think about some of the women partners, for instance, that I started with as a first year. Um, I was actually fortunate to have a number of women partners that I was working with, which was sort of unusual. But some of them, for instance, you know, when they maybe when they finished law school, like in the 80s, like they had to go to California or to other states to clerk because law firms, when they were in law school, weren't even uh, weren't hiring women. And so um, I had the benefit of learning from those women and their experiences and what culture was like when they started out and learning, you know, how they learned the ropes and navigated their legal careers. And then certainly when I started, women were working at law firms and clerking at law firms. We weren't having to go out of our way, but there was still you know, an initiative to try to recruit women and get women um, in the door. Um, And once they're in the door, you know, getting women to stay. So I guess I would just summarize it by saying, I think the culture definitely has improved, um, but we still have a ways ways to go. Yeah, this is Anne. I mean, I, to, to kind of piggyback off of what Phyllis just said, I think that's true. I think, but I think part of why it's, to me, it's been a much more rapid change from 10 years ago versus the prior 10 years. And I think it's because we are seeing women in leadership roles and we're seeing women in leadership roles who are looking to help other women climb up the mountain versus when I started, there were so many women who loved being the only woman in the room who loved being the only woman partner that they were far harder on their women peers than they were on their men. And I don't see that anymore from women, uh, fortunately, and I see a much more concerted effort among women to uh, help each other, both from the client side and internally at the firm. I think that's right, Anne. I think that concept of sponsorship, so we talk about mentorship versus sponsorship, you see a lot more senior women um, acting as sponsors for other women and Mm -hmm. showcasing other women and highlighting them and giving them opportunities to lead and show their own leadership. And so that that's, I was definitely a development that I saw as my career progressed. And I, I think that having more women acting as sponsors and providing those opportunities has certainly, you know, made the culture better in terms of, uh, you know, a woman practicing at a law firm and staying at a law firm. Thank you so much for those wonderful answers. Kelsey, do you have anything you'd like to add? I think that we agree with Phyllis that we need 
more like a stronger aggregate of women across all law firms because right like intentionality it's it's something that's unnatural right like we're trying to make sure that there are an actively and you have to be thinking about it and working towards it and i think it's natural to connect with people that are like you and so long as like there's more men in partnership ranks and the senior ranks than women, it's going to have to be very intentional and take that effort for both um, the women that are already there, for the men that are already there and mentoring women and men. And as you, you guys become more senior, as we all become more senior, making sure that you're taking those efforts to reach down and like pull other people up and make sure that they are they're getting opportunities that you had or opportunities that you wish you had at a time where you wish you had them. So I think that the intentionality is something that we need at all levels. Like, you know, if you're a first year, maybe you're not seeing the, the mentorship for yourself, but maybe that means you need to be a mentor to women that are in law school now. I think it's, it's possible to do that at all levels. And I think it requires us taking the time to do it. And I think the intentionality I've seen increase because I've been practicing a decade now, but what I'd like to see is the stats change because I don't know that we're seeing like changes in the statistics of like, as much as we should, like on a macro scale of there's this many women in law school, why are, what is happening between law school and partnership that we're losing women? So I think Phil's and Anna right that there's been a lot of positive change, but I think it's a work in progress and we've got to just stay positive and work towards a goal of inclusion and being mentors to the people that we can, to the people that we can reach, the people in our immediate circles, the people that might be in a different office, but we have a transaction with. However that looks, I think it's just actively keeping that kind of top of mind and making sure that you're part of part of the change that you want to see. Kelsey, I just wanted to add to like, I think uh, when you talk about that intentionality and you know being purposeful, why are we doing this? Because I think a lot of times, certainly lately, it's starting to it seems like it's getting sort of controversial in a way when you talk about um diversity or equity and inclusion initiatives and why are we doing it? But, you know, it's not the purpose of all this. And culturally, I think more organizations are, when we talk about, you know, change in culture uh, 10 years ago versus now, I think more law firms and businesses, as far as their culture, are taking diversity, equity, inclusion into account for more of a, it's not, we're certainly not trying to have people who aren't qualified taking positions that they shouldn't be in. It's not about favoring one group or another. It's really, you know, let's get leveling the playing field. It's giving mm-hmm. everybody opportunities to compete um, and be in taking away, you know, artificial barriers that may be in existence sort of structurally or even, you know, human nature, you know, thinking about when you are making decisions 
and having that sort of diversity, equity, inclusion mindset and the things that you learn from it, thinking about your own biases and things like that and why you're making certain decisions and how that might be limiting you or limiting you know the organization as a result. And because of those biases or either structural or artificial barriers are in place, the organizations aren't able to reach their full potential. And so, I mean, I just wanted to add that point in because I think culture-wise, cultures have changed to start reflecting that more as the mindset for why these types of issues are important. But I think it's just also important to inform people that you know, this, why we're thinking this way and why we're talking about this issue. Right. Because I, I think that like, for instance, you brought up maternity benefits, Phyllis, unless in really we want people, there's parents, there's non-parents, there's all sorts of different circumstances that people are in. But unless we have like people that are caretakers to elderly, people that are um, parents, people that are live alone, people that are married, people who are unmarried, like all of those different facets of our lives change our perspective, change how different policies affect us. And what the ultimate goal should be is, I think, some sort of cross-section with representation for all different circumstances at a high level in every organization so that people are getting their voices heard, whatever, so that the policies that impact people, you can really see what those impacts are. So something like a maternity, paternity leave policy, for instance, or, I mean, there's tons of other benefits like coverage for like FMLA, things like that. And it's, it's also like small ways. Why are we only doing golf tournaments for for uh, business development, or are we going to branch out and do something that's more inclusive for people that don't play golf and like who predominantly plays golf or like who predominantly drinks bourbon? And is this an event that like is <laughs> inclusive for a lot of people? Like what if someone doesn't drink at all? You know, I think that there's a lot more thought going into those types of things, but we have to keep it the momentum going and thinking about things holistically about how they impact everyone. The other thing that I think we have to give props for are to the younger men. Um, you know, no, I don't think I know a single man in my generation who took a paternity leave. And I know several of the younger men who are attorneys here who do take the paternity leave. And I think that's important. I think that's part of what is also helping change. And maybe it's because their mothers worked. Uh, so they saw that women could go out and earn a living. Um, maybe it's because once we have these things put in place, they're not as horrible. They don't disrupt uh, productivity the way that they were viewed when they were first uh, put in place. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, those were really, really excellent answers. And I appreciate those insights. Yes. Thanks, y'all. That was very enlightening to hear as um, such new uh, women in the field. So now, um, starting with Kelsey, I would love to hear some about the character traits that you feel have benefited you in your success. And going a little bit further, how, if in any ways, have you tried to further cultivate um, those character traits that you think have enabled you? So 
I always say this and my, my husband's sick of hearing it, frankly, but like, I, I don't know if anyone's ever taken the Myers-Briggs test. I've taken it like several times. I pretty much always get ENFP. So for people that don't know what that means, it's like um, extroverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving, because I'm very detail oriented, but I also have what I would say is like a bit, uh, a strong emotional intelligence about people. Emotional intelligence is hard to, that's a, a hard term to say if you have any sense of humility to call yourself intelligent in any way feels kind of grandiose, but being attuned to the drivers and needs of others has been very important to my practice. So I really try to make my, understand what's going on in my team's life, even understand what's going on in like seller counsel's life, the seller's head, all of that when I'm, when I'm dealing on a transaction, because you have at least 10 different personalities colliding. And the only way you're going to get through this process smoothly is if you're really, um, I think, attuned to what what people's, sorry, I guess, what, what do I say? What they're, what's driving them? What's irking them about a deal? Um, and so that's really helped me is being just attuned to those things, understanding where, you know, it might not benefit me to have uh, seller counsel on with their client because they're going to want to look a certain way in front of their client. And if I need to educate them on something softly, then I should do that when they're not, when they don't have an audience, you know, because who wants to be kind of told something in front of someone that they're representing? There's just all sorts of ways that I think, ways that I think that emotional intelligence enters into our practice. One of the other traits that I think has served me well is perspective. So ENFPs are also known for having kind of an understanding of the big picture. I personally am also a very detail-oriented person. So that kind of coupling is really helpful. And by perspective, I mean understanding the deal flow in particular understanding the season you're in on a particular deal, what stage you're at, knowing when to sprint, knowing when to fight for your point, knowing when to let go, and just knowing when a battle lost doesn't mean a war's lost. I think that's really critical because there's a lot of positive capital to be gained from not fighting every point. And all of that is something that comes in time and experience. The last trait I want to talk about is just grit. And by that, I just mean when you know you have to get something done, staying focused and driving hard until you get the deal closed or the result that you want for the client or the deliverable. I think soft skills coupled with that hard driving attitude, but all being tempered by perspective is are really advantageous, is really an advantageous combination that serves the client well. I'm also an ENFP, so I guess that's also a piece of why I very much enjoyed hearing your answer. We're the only two, I think, in the practice (laughs) of private equity, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Well, Anne, I would love to hear your response um, about the traits you feel have benefited your success and What, if anything, you've done to cultivate them? Sticking with the Myers-Briggs, I am an ENTP, 
which is um, not necessarily the best work personality for a woman um, because I do come off as being argumentative at times. So I have worked at not worked at that aspect of it and ridden some of the other things that are positive traits. I'm very, very curious. I love learning new things. And that's one of the things I love about working on private equity deals. The deals are always very different. The the risks, I'm a risk management is my area. Insurance is my area. So the risks are very different. That's super exciting to me and interesting to me. I also have a very good sense of humor and just try to lean on that when things get a little stressful because things do get stressful. Um, it's, it's kind of the nature of being an M&A. Things start picking up pace and as you're r- racing towards the finish line. So I think those two things help a lot. As an extrovert, somebody told me this, um, very good advice. I always, if somebody mentions a topic, I will have three stories to tell. And my friend told me, pick one and stop talking. So I think I've worked on listening and not always talking. So listening, sense of humor, and curiosity. Thank you. Phyllis? Sure. Well, I've taken personality tests in the past, and it's been so many years since I've taken one, I don't remember what (laughs) any of my results are. So I can't tell you what my my Myers-Briggs is, but I can tell you... um, just some, my own personal observations about myself. I, yeah, that curiosity, um, problem solving is really big with me. I'm always, you know, I think about things. My brain just, you know, processing information, refining information. I'm always taking in information, ab- ab- absorbing it, processing it, and that sort of thing. So um, I really like problem solving. And so I, I think I bring that to the work that I do and um, making refinements, I think is also, you know, in other words, sometimes you have to not being stubborn about, you know, one particular point and realizing, you know, either, either I made a wrong decision and I'm going to course correct, not being afraid to do that. Or just even if I made the right decision, you know, may, if I can make refinements even on that, I'm very comfortable doing that sort of thing. And I think that translates into certainly as I became more and more senior in my practice, executive decision making, being able to make the tough calls when necessary, uh, taking in information and being able to make a decision that this is, the, you know, this is the plan. This is the path that we're going to take, um, being very comfortable doing that and also taking ownership of things when you're start out uh, you know, early in your career, you might think of things. I have this theory that the way that people work, a lot of it's driven by how people went to school and they had an assignment and they um, did an assignment and they turned it into the teacher and they got a grade and then usually forgot about it. Um, you know, they went on to the next assignment. And so some people bring that mentality into work, which certainly they're very task oriented. And so I kind of learned early in my career, certainly when practicing law, first off, like you should use your knowledge from deal to deal to, you know, one deal to build on your knowledge on the next deal. So everything is uh, you're taking your knowledge and you're, you're building on it for each transaction or each matter that you work on. But you also shouldn't be thinking of things in terms of tasks. You should be looking at the bigger picture, inserting yourself into the bigger picture as well and getting deeper 
into it, whether it's getting um, depth and knowledge of a client or their business or certainly the, the, the legal issues or the transactions that you're working on and really taking ownership of that, meaning thinking through other issues, thinking beyond the, the, the current task that is at hand, thinking 10 steps down, you know, 10 steps ahead, you know, what could potentially become an issue. Or, and so I think all those things have kind of helped benefit me in my career. Um, certainly things like having the emotional intelligence, having empathy as one of the, you know, I hate using the term softer skill, but one of those sort of people skills that's also very important. What have I done to cultivate? I think really it's just a matter of putting, you know, things that I, it, putting things that I've learned, um, the things into practice every day. It's one thing to go to a workshop or a CLE and learn about some type of leadership skill and then just kind of, again, just go on, you know, the next day and forget about it. But for me, I think it's really been important um, to put things into practice and being purposeful and intentional. Um, when I'm working, um, putting those types of skills into practice. And certainly, you know, um, again, probably once I made partners, especially, I certainly have had times when I've gone to outside consultants and talked about um, certain types of issues or skill sets, communication, that sort of thing, and how how can I improve communication under these types of circumstances and things like that. So, you know, I've, I would say I've used my practice, but I've, what I do on a day to day and what I've learned. But yeah, I'm, I've also certainly consulted with people um, and read books, lots of books. I can't tell you one of the books, read any of the names right now. It's like put me on the spot. I can't name any particular book, but um, reading about um, personality and leadership and management, those types of skills, and even using that um, as a way to uh, learn and hopefully put the, what I learn into action. So I'd say it's a combination of things. Thank you. I've been thinking about what the culture was like 10 years ago for women. And I have to think back to an experience that I had working at my mom's family law firm while I was in college. They needed a receptionist. I did it for the summer. It was awesome. It was a wonderful experience. And one of the attorneys there who had an illustrious career in public service, came to work at the firm because her daughter-in-law founded it and uh, basically begged her to be there because she was just such an excellent attorney. And she was telling me about her experience when she began law school. Now, this woman is probably in her late 70s now, but she was saying when she began law school and when she was accepted, they started their first day. And they essentially asked all the women if they could type. And if you said, she picked up on this, if you said you could type, they immediately put you into paralegal school. And so even though she could type, she said that she couldn't. So that, I mean, that's how she became a lawyer, which I I have always thought was a really interesting story considering what my experience in law school was, which is you know, that I went to be a lawyer and that was never questioned. Yeah. So things have changed. I mean, that, that's, that is a really good point to make. And again, do we have a long way to go? We absolutely have a long way to go, particularly when you get to the C-suite part of things or upper management in a firm, equity partnership, things like that. We have, we have a way to go, but I think 
things like working part-time. I actually think uh, the lockdown helped because it made people realize that you can work remotely and actually get work done and actually be productive. So if you have to work from home and it's still falling on women with children, if they're, they have a fever and can't go to school, I think there's now a recognition that that's okay. But yeah, I think that's a great story, Rebecca. Thanks. And I wanted to ask you a question about what benefits you think there are to being a woman, both in, as a woman lawyer and a woman lawyer in private equity and finance. I'll start with you, Rebecca. Okay. So I, I think there's a community of women, especially at our firm, who really, really support each other. And I think that having a lot of women in that space where maybe there haven't been in the past, it, it brings a new perspective because I think sometimes women think about things differently than men or, or approach different situations differently, which I think is massively important when you're looking at situations where there could be a multitude of different actions that you could take. But particularly in our firm, I've found the culture to be very supportive among the women that I work with. I, I on my team, actually work with mostly women um, in the Raleigh office. The private equity group in the Raleigh office is women, and, and we really support each other and uplift each other. And I find that everyone's very, very understanding because maybe in the past, women haven't immediately been able to take time as they feel that they need to take to you know, support their families or you know, run errands because it was almost like if you did that, you were looked down upon because maybe in the past, women haven't really felt that freedom. Whereas... I find that everyone I work with is very supportive and understanding. And I think that having more women in the workplace has made that a reality. Mm -hmm. I would say following up on uh, Rebecca's points from, I would say that the benefits of having women in the workplace and really a lot of different, any kind of minority group, I think it comes from the way that this, society and this country can often socialize us to, you know, just in the way that we think about things and the values that we have, which can often be um, in opposition to the way that the modern workplace has been built around, you know, this idea of men um, going to work and women being in the home. And so I think that by having more women in the workplace that we're honestly able to build a more productive, um, in the economic sense of the word, society by making those like drivers of that activity more responsive to the needs of, I say minority, but truly the numerical majority of the population, um, right. which are women. And then um, beyond that, when you think about the kind of economic power that women wield as the primary, you know, purchasers in their homes as the ones who are really kind of responding to and creating um, a lot of that economic activity. I think that by having more women in private equity, especially, can really help 
um, help firms to understand kind of market opportunities better, to understand the base demographics that they are going to need to appeal to. Honestly, regardless of kind of the industry that you're in, whether it's construction, it's like oftentimes that home that's being built, there is probably a woman who is going to be primarily responsible for managing um, whatever project is going on. And so by having a C-suite, by having a boardroom, by having even attorneys, um, you know, outside counsel that is more diverse and that is receptive to those voices, you're just going to end up with a better end product because if the goal is to sell to customers, then having people who can understand and see the world in a similar way to how those people, those customers were socialized to see the world is just going to make you able to serve them better. That's a great answer. Thanks. And I just thank both of you for joining us um, on our little adventure as we interview and discuss women's issues. Yeah, it's been great. So we always have our signature question, and I'd like to ask both of you the signature question, which is if you could talk to your younger self, and since you're both fairly young, I would say yourself who's a senior in high school, what advice would you give that person? So I think that the advice that I would give my 18-year-old self would be really to slow down. I feel like I had I had set my sights on becoming an attorney at a very young age. I think I was in elementary school when I initially decided. And so I kind of pursued that path with like ferocious intensity, which has been beneficial. It's like it is wonderful to get to learn so much and have so much responsibility um, at the age of 25 and to kind of get this view of the world that is different from what a lot of my peers um, kind of see. But I would definitely tell her to kind of enjoy the journey a lot more and, you know, maybe to to breathe in because you get to, you know, I get to be an attorney for the next 40, 50 years of my life. And I think that those experiences that from my youth, that by really savoring them, it would make it would make me an even better at this career path. Thanks. And Rebecca? I generally agree with Xaviera. You want to slow down. You want to experience things. I had a different path where I didn't necessarily rush into being an attorney. I got the opportunity to explore a lot of different options um, and a lot of kind of different career paths in a short period of time while I was at school. I, I kind of flipped around a little bit, but I will say that everything that I did in following those passions led me to be a, an attorney and specifically in private equity. So I found out that financial transactions was very interesting to me because of my time that I spent in classes where I was reviewing financial transactions. And I had the opportunity to take a weekend long training the street, Wall Street class for investment bankers. And that was something that I, I still think about when I'm going through these transactions and interacting with uh, investment bankers. So I agree with Xaviera in slowing down. And 
fully immersing yourself in your interests and then following them wherever they should take you. And for me, they went to law, even though they weren't necessarily, the compass wasn't necessarily pointing in that direction at all time. Great. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. And you can always go to our website and put in suggestions for questions, suggestions for people we should interview, suggestions for topics that we should explore. Thanks very much. And this is the end of today's podcast. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of Deal Us In. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or a topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please email us at wpef at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.